Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to the Psych Legal Pop Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about popular culture through the lens of an attorney and a therapist. I'm Brooke Brigham. I'm the attorney. And I'm Tess Brigham. I'm the therapist. Today we are going to be talking about a documentary. It's called Between Life and Death, The Terry Schiavo Story. It's on Peacock. Um, and it, it's not the free version. You have to like pay pay for the I don't know, five ninety nine. Mm-hmm. But um you can just, you know, watch it, cancel it. It's very good. It's worth um, yes. it's worth watching. And you know, the, I think this is my favorite kind of documentary is where you they go back and look at a big event that happened, you know, twenty years ago and look at it through the lens of today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how you know, just like like Monica Lewinsky or, you know, these things that like Big things that happen in the culture, and then twenty years later, like how do people view it now? What happened? What what was the result? What was the mm-hmm. aftermath? And so this um, story is part of the what what was the beginning of uh, the right to life movement. I mean, th- it had been around. You know, there had been a lot of anti-abortion stuff even before this, but this is where the the end of life and beginning of life, you know, which are two sides of the same coin. Um, the whole idea about, uh, how someone should die or should someone be allowed to die? Should they be allowed to live? Like all those kind of questions coalesced into a organized political movement. Mm-hmm. And so it, and so this case, um, started that and so it was very interesting to to look back on it well and it's funny too because when you suggested this it's like oh i know that case i know terry shivo and i knew it was about right to life her dying but i didn't know all the details and i think that's what a lot of people know about this case right is because i was at my um I have two pugs and we go to a pug Sunday meetup and <laughs> I was there this morning and, and I said that this is one of the case, one of the documentaries that we're covering and everyone's like, Oh yeah. What, what was that again? What was that case? I think this is one of these things that we all kind of know about, but we don't mm-hmm. quite know all the details. And when watching this documentary, that's why it was so good. It was like, Oh, that happened. And that happened. Oh my gosh. And that happened. And you're right. Seeing it and being able to see, Oh, and these are the implications for today Mm -hmm. does make it really fascinating. And I think it was interesting because as I was watching the documentary, I was going in circles around, who do I believe? Who do I side with? You know, if I take mm-hmm. my own beliefs and and if I take myself out of this, like, because there's there's the piece of it of what are your own personal beliefs? And then there's also 
right? Who can you put yourself in certain people's shoes and try to understand it from their side? Because I was trying to, I was trying to understand it from the side of the family. I was trying to understand it from the side of the husband. I was trying to understand it from each side. And it is, it's, it is very hard to, you know, I don't know. I, 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 at, at some point I kind of felt like, okay, I can see everybody's sides. And then when they got that guy Randall involved, I was like, okay, yeah. we're going off the rails. <laughs> like somewhere yeah. I, I felt like we were, we were all in a right place or we were in a good place. Not right, but like a good place. And then I think when the family went that direction, I was like, okay, I'm out now. You know, yeah, it did, we're it going did off go, the rails. It did go off the rails. And the other complicated part of this too, is that, Okay, this is a story about a family, you know, mm-hmm. so there's the, the, the differences between the family, but there's also issues in here of uh, medicine, you know, medical mm-hmm. evidence, doctors, um, uh, and then you have religion, you know, so it just, and then politics, you know, because yeah. it, it was used as a political uh, tool, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that a lot of the people, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the lengths they went to um, all the way up to the president of the United States to get involved in this case. And, you know, I, I really think that most of those Congress people were just getting involved just to, you know, be able to get some camera time and talk about it mm-hmm. and play to the base. I don't yeah. think they really, ca- you know, th- they didn't care about this woman and her family and nor should they like this is not. This is not what they're there to do. So, yeah, so, we got everything here. You know, we got we got it yeah. all. It's a big mix. Well, of, it's a big mess. And also this other thing about family, and this was also interesting, too, is this idea of who is your family? Once you get mm-hmm. married and you start a new family, who is your family? Mm-hmm. Because once you get married, your partner, your spouse becomes, you know, when you pass away, they decide what happens to you, right? Like they become, are they your family? Because the big argument with the parents and the family was like, you only knew her for 10 years. We've known her her whole life, right? This Mm -hmm. idea of who knows you better, you know, who has more rights to you, who, who, who is your mouthpiece? Who is your speaker? Who's this thing? And, and I, and I hear this a lot with my clients and, and it's such a dangerous thing where, you know, people get married and suddenly, and and I see it a lot with men and their mothers (laughs) and their Mm -hmm. new wives. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, you're married now. This is, this your, your wife, family. your children, yeah. that's your family. And you have to, you know, defend them against your mother and her wishes and whatever it is, because this is your family. Even if you've known your mother your whole life, <laughs> it doesn't really yeah. matter. And I thought that was really interesting. A lot of the arguments from the family of, well, we've known her longer, you know? Yeah. So, well, look, if you take anything away from this documentary is that every person over the age of 18 must have an advanced healthcare directive because yes. if you have that, then your families can't go to court, you know, and, um, sue each other. It's so important, you know? Yeah. Because maybe, maybe you're married, but maybe you don't want your husband making those kinds of decisions mm-hmm. for you. Maybe mm-hmm. you do want your parents. So you have to name them. You have to put it in writing and get it notarized and, you know, and, and get, yes. have it, in your records so that if anything ever happens to you, you have a legal document that's going to be irrefutable unless they can prove that it was somehow fraudulently obtained. Um, But this is evidence of who you want to make these kinds of decisions for you and what what your wishes are in terms of, you know, do you want, you know, this, do you want to be on a ventilator? You know, do you want to Mm -hmm. have a feeding tube? Like you get to decide, um, you know, where to draw the line. So yes. everybody, please do that. You can go on the internet and, and get one, just make sure, you know, you fill it out, you update it, you sign it, you have it notarized. Um, very important. So, yes. And notaries um, will come to your house too. I mean, there's, you can get a notary to come to your house to sign documents. So there's no, yeah. You, or you can go yeah, to any very U- easy. U- UPS store. Yeah. It costs $10. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
UPS, FedEx, any of those places. Okay, yes, so yes. Um, T- Terry Shivo was. Um, where did the family grow up? It, they weren't from Florida. I they were. I from feel another like they were state. from the East Coast. Yeah, maybe like they New York, New Jersey, or New York. I got something. that New York vibe, but they never yeah. said. But they were all in. I feel like they met on the East Coast, on on the East Coast, on in maybe New York, Boston, but then they moved down to Florida. Well, yeah, they so so. Okay, so Terry, you know, grew up in this tight knit family. Um, her parents were their last name was Schindler, Mary Schindler, and then the father I forget his name. He'd passed away. Robert. Bob. Robert. Not yeah, not that long after Terry passed away, I think. Um, he passed away, but yeah. Mary's still alive. And then Terry was the oldest. She had a brother, younger brother, Bobby, and a sister, um, Suzanne. Oh, Suzanne. And so growing up, um, Terry kind of, you know, was a little heavy, always had, you know, weight problems. Um, and she then lost weight, I think, like during high school or maybe right after high school. And then she met Michael Shivo who um, she eventually got married to. They were only 20 when they got married. So they were very, very young. Um, they had a big Catholic wedding. My, Michael wasn't Catholic, so he had to get some special, you know, disposition, Dispos- yeah. dispensation or whatever they call it. Dispensation, yeah. So they moved, um, Terry and Michael moved to St. Petersburg, Florida, and her fa- entire family moved there. So yes. to be with near her. So this, that's a little weird. So, but it tells you like, this is a tight knit family. And again, talking about like when you get married, can you imagine, I mean, I think Michael and the parents got along, they liked each other, but you get married and then your wife's entire family moves, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) kind of sound like they moved into the same neighborhood to be around her all the time. Kind of like we have claim over her. Mm -hmm. I I thought that, I thought that was odd. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they weren't, they were, this was in 19, they got married. Well, they got married in 1984 when she was 20. Oh, okay. So, so they'd been married the, for a while. They had been married for about six years because one morning Michael hears like a thud and he finds her on the floor and she had had a, a cardiac arrest and they call the ambulance and um, they take her away. And she's had this severe brain damage. She couldn't talk. She couldn't walk. And it was because of, I guess it was because she had low potassium levels because of some eating issues. Well, that was, that was one of, that was the theory because I okay. guess if you, I guess this is, because Karen Carpenter, you know, she died the same way. She had anorexia mm-hmm. and she had had a heart attack. I guess if you have severely low potassium, which is the result of, you know, an eating disorder, it can cause a heart attack in a young, mm. healthy person. But yeah, she, the, the when her heart stopped beating, um, basically she was, her brain was not getting any oxygen for a very, very mm-hmm. long time. And um, so they told... The, they told when, when after it first happened, the doctors told the family that she was going to have a significant brain injury, but they didn't really know um, mm-hmm. how it was going to turn out. And like you said, I mean, she she couldn't walk or talk. And they found out later that um, and when they did the autopsy on her, she was blind, like because the portion of her brain that controls sight was completely destroyed. Oh, wow. So they were able to. That. Yeah, they were able to look at her brain. Um, you know, after she died. And so she was completely blind and she, I'm sure she couldn't really hear anything. She just kind of, her body sort of responded to some stimuli, Mm -hmm. but there was no cognition there. Like they said, her brain had pretty much liquefied, you know, surprised she was even able to live. Well, one thing I thought was really interesting was, um, you know, because at the time she was, she and Michael were trying to get pregnant and, um, and, you know, the family apparently, they said they were really surprised to learn about her eating issues. And so I come back to this idea of how well did you know her? Yeah. 
right? You, you all claimed like these enmeshed families that are so like up in each other's business. And the thing is, is what happens with these enmeshed families is people start to keep secrets because they're not able to breathe because you are so up in their grill. Mm-hmm. And, and right. so I thought that was, I just thought it was really interesting. I'm like, oh, so you really don't know everything about her. And maybe yeah. Michael didn't know that either. I, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like all these people seem to think that they know what she wants. And I'm like, but none of you really knew what was going on with her. The hairdresser seemed to know better, you know? Yeah. The, I was listening to an interview of the, um, the, the t- two of the producers of the um, documentary and they were saying it turned out everyone thinks it was anorexia, but um, after you know, some time and looking at the medical records and the autopsy, they now think it was bulimia because, Mm. and and a lot of people reported that she used to get up a lot during meals and go to the bathroom. And, um, and again, Mm. yeah, the family didn't pick up on that. Um, I don't know if her husband picked up on it. I mean, because the husband ended up suing her, uh, primary care doctor and her gynecologist saying that they should have picked up on the fact that she had some kind of eating disorder from the blood work that she mm-hmm. had done and the different symptoms that she had. And he ended mm-hmm. up um, getting like a million dollars out of that. 700,000. Um, well, yeah. seven he got a million dollars. He personally got 300,000. And then there was another 700,000 that was supposed to go into a trust for her care. Mm-hmm. So, got it. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so immediately after the um, the heart attack, they were trying to do these different um, experimental. They did some weird experimental brain surgery in California. Yeah, the, the turns where they have to turn it like it was like yes. these electrodes in the base of the that they brain. put in her skull. And yeah, what I and- was wondering is, how do you know this isn't hurting her? Like, how do you, yeah. I mean, I guess is she, I mean, how do you know that if, you know, if you do think there's some, something there right. that you're trying to reach, how do you, how do you know that this isn't traumatizing, yeah, tor- her torturing her? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they did, they tried all these different kinds of therapies, you know, and then it became clear. Then, then they gave this diagnosis of her basically being in a persistent vegetative state. Mm -hmm. And that she was never going to recover from it. She was never going to get any better. Um, So she was not on a ventilator. She could breathe on her own. Her heart was beating on its own. But um, she could not eat. She could not swallow or anything. So she had a feeding Mm -hmm. tube. And that Mm -hmm. feeding tube was um, keeping her alive. And, you know, Michael was, you know, the more pragmatic. Not that he wanted her. (laughs) I mean, he tried like they tried to villainize him a lot. And I remember when this was all happening, he was really villainized in the press Mm -hmm. and they were saying that he just wanted her to die so that he could get remarried. And cause he had moved on. He had a, Mm -hmm. you know, a girlfriend, but yeah, he couldn't get married. He he was still married to a Terry. I think this, he and this girlfriend had already had a couple of kids together. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. I I recall. Well, the way the parents tell the story is, or the mom tells the story is basically he got the lawsuit that this was all going to cost a lot of money and mm-hmm. that he was going to, he sued, he got $700,000 for her care. And that that's when he then decided that, okay, well, I don't want to care for her anymore. She's brain dead. She's, you know, um, she's, you know, there's no hope we should we need to pull the plug or take her off the feeding tube and really truly and that's when i was i started to think to myself well hold on a second like you know i mean it's been four years it isn't like you know lawsuits take time you know it's not like this accident just happened he filed the lawsuit and then the minute they handed him the check he just decided okay this is it i'm ripping out the cords here it was like hold on family you know, a lot has happened. And yeah, I would think that he's been thinking about this in the back of his mind. I, and, and so I didn't even, this was, this information came to me before I even, before they really started to villainize him. And I thought that was really interesting the way they already were sort of setting it up 
Like, yeah. see, the minute he got that money, he was ready to kind of rip the cord. And that was it. He was done. I keep saying rip the cord. It's not, she's not plugged it's in. Not, but, yeah. But I mean, that she, he was ready to let her die and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, no, not really. I mean, I think, I think taking care of someone in that vegetative state and put, and essentially putting your life on hold right. when you're in your 20s and 30s is a lot to ask someone to do for a couple years. Yeah. And well, so also, for there was four nothing, years is a lot. And there was nothing he could do for her. Like they had already, mm-hmm. you like, the, what are you going to spend this money on? Just warehousing her in a yes. facility? Yeah. There, it's not like he could have taken the money and gotten her any sort of treatment. This was it. This was like how it was going to be. And, yeah. um, and then and and the I parents... Think- the parents Sorry, like, and I think the year was 1997 by here. So by then, so it's been seven years. Sorry, go on. It's seven years. Like it's been enough time. She was going to wake up. She would have woken up. Keep going. Right. Well, and here, here again, like is where you know it, it would be helpful to have you know science. But so the the parents were kind of like, well, just give. We'll take care of her for the rest of her life. You know, you don't. You can go on. You can move on, and we'll take care of her. Just let her. Um, you know, let us have her basically. And he was like, no, he's like, I, I know she would not want to live like this. I know she would not want to put everybody through this. You know, she was a kind and loving person. I loved her. You know, it's like, she would not want this, but of course there's nothing in writing. So it's like his word against whoever. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, he, he's saying, she told me this and and then they were saying no she never said anything like that and she was religious and catholic and this and that and so then the, the that stuff comes in but you know they did they just this family even still to this day have never been able to accept the science mm-hmm. of this yeah yeah you know the fact and and then even after she died they found out so much more that was she was worse than they thought and it's it this kind of thing is very confusing to people because when you look at her she's not in a coma her eyes are mm-hmm. open and they think she can respond to stimuli because they're always saying terry terry blink blink open your eyes close your eyes and this one doctor who was came in later and some of the litigation said that he watched, you know, several hours of them doing this mm-hmm. and he counted how many times yeah. they said, uh, close your eyes, open your eyes. And how many, it was like 150 times. And out of that 150 times, only five times did her eyes open or close after they said that. And, you know, they think there's a correlate. They think that she can hear yeah. them. And also too, even when you're in that state, you know, you, you move, you make movements, you can make sounds. So it, it, it's very confusing to people because it's different if you're just laying there on a table on a ventilator and you can't talk and you're completely unconscious. Mm -hmm. So, well, and I think, and I think that's the part, this is, this is the part where I have a lot of empathy for the family because I can understand as that mother, you're going, this is your daughter and you're going to see her and she's making right. We can all, if you're watching hours upon hours of this, you can see that like, yeah, you know, once you get the diagnosis and you read the medical and someone from the scientific community explains to you, like, listen, she's just making noises. She's going to make these noises no matter Mm -hmm. what, no no matter who walks into the room. But you're a parent and this is your child and your child makes this "Ah," noise Mm -hmm. and "Ah," noise and to your presence, that's going to make you feel like she can see me and she can hear me. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I, I can understand the mom, the brother, the sister, like dad, like really holding, I get it. They were really holding on to the fact that they, they felt like they had something there or that, that somehow she could see me or, 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 um, like they, that, she knew they were there. She, yes, she could yes. feel their presence or feel their love. And that's or, what we want. You know, yeah. it's the same thing when someone dies. It's like, yeah. and you know, you go and see someone who speaks to the dead. It's that same idea. Like they can, you know, just simply whether or not they can actually speak to someone in the dead. I'm not going to dispute that, but it's a little bit of anyone telling you, oh, I feel their presence right here. That's just mm. going to make you happy. And actually, if it's real or not, doesn't really matter because it's the, it's the illusion of comfort that you're Mm -hmm. getting and so and i did feel for the family 
family. I really oh, did so, because uh, that's totally. what they were looking for. But it was, they just, but, but there was not one person in this family that was willing, you know, that, I think, unfortunately, the four of them, nobody mm-hmm. was like able to slap them around and be like, listen, yeah. like, you know. Anyway, no, it, so, they, they were all very aligned with each other. So, yes. Yeah. So it's 1997 so, and the, the parents, they say they receive a letter from the attorneys. Michael wants to remove the feeding tube um, and they saw it as he was trying to kill her. That's, you know, that they um, were coming from. And so there, this the attorney who was Michael's original attorney, this guy, George Phalos. Um, he, he, he's done a lot of these cases and he comes on, he kind of talks about, you know, the difference between, you know, for a long time, it was like just the ventilator cases, which like I said, were kind of easier to understand taking someone off a ventilator. Removing a feeding tube is a little bit different because then the person has to die and it could take a couple weeks for them to die. Um, And, you know, he talks about how we have this real fear of death in our culture. Um, You know, we're youth obsessed and we we are. We we don't talk about death at all. Like people don't, people think they're going to live forever. And then, you know, anyway. um, And there was another famous case. Oh, the famous ventilator case was the Karen Quinlan case. Parents wanted her removed um, from the ventilator. Yeah, I didn't know that I remember, case. Had you heard I of that I remember case? that, yeah. I remember, well, they talked about it a lot during this whole Terry Schiavo thing. But yeah, mm. this was like in 1985. Hmm. So, so it began, the yes. legal battle. Um, well, and so the judge, so it, 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 it turned out that... Um, uh, so Michael had to go to court and prove mm-hmm. that this is what Terry would have wanted. And the judge ruled in Michael's favor and they thought, okay, this is over. So she gets moved to hospice. And then they talk a lot. It was interesting at first. I was like, wow, they're really going into the process of hospice and what this is. I, I was like, mm-hmm. I appreciated it, but I think they wanted to explain like death and what hospice is, but right. They go into the whole, the hospice, but then, on April 24th, 2001, this woman calls into a radio show, Cindy Brashers, and she's an ex-girlfriend of Michael's, of Michael's, and she calls into the show and she says um, that Michael told her that Terry would recognize his voice, cry when he would leave, and that she, that Terry has ruined his life. And the family heard about this, hired a private investigator to go to the ex-girlfriend. And the ex-girlfriend said that Michael told her that Terry didn't know if she would want to end her life. And so they used this to take Michael back to court. They found, they took, they, they said, okay, let's take him back to court, but let's find a different judge. And, um... Yeah, different judge. And um, that judge came in and he said they got a temporary injunction and to get the feeding tube back in, which and the original judge who's been the judge this whole time, Judge Greer, was pissed. Yeah. Yeah, they went to like, I think it was an, an appeals court that they went to. But anyway, yeah. And I don't, so yeah. How, how can was, I ask you a question? How how are you able to do that? Like, if Judge Greer is the judge for this case, how are they able to just file this motion, like file this injunction, and rush in and and do it in front of a different judge and get it to go through? Like, I don't because understand. It's, that. A, it's a different court. It's an appellate court. Uh, so oh. Judge Greer. Judge Greer. The, the original hearing where Judge Greer heard the case and decided that, that you know, that he um, that would have been Terry's wish to be removed mm-hmm. from the feeding tube. That was a probate court because, you know, that reporter that um, was. Yes. Following the this whole thing. Yeah. Anita she, Kumar from yeah. the Tampa Bay Times. Yes. She, 
your note taking is impeccable. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, so she's a reporter and she was dispatched to, she said it was a probate court and there was this hearing and, you know, um, it was kind of interesting topic. And so she started following it. But anyway, yeah, he, he then filed something in a court of appeal, appealing that ruling, appealing Judge mm-hmm. Greer's ruling. Um, and then... What happened after that? Well, he he well, got pissed because he felt like the family misused the system, manipulated the system. Um, well, they do have the right to file an appeal. I mean, that's not manipulating the system. I, um, I think he was just yeah. more upset that somebody overturned his ruling. I think it was a, like a personal assault to him. But, you know, they, they have the right to, you know, appeal, seek, seek a... Um, you know, there is a system there mm-hmm. to do that. But, but um, this is but this is when is this when th- we meet Suzanne's ex-husband who snuck the camera in? Yeah, he and this he, was he, real shady. He was trying to get evidence, you know, fil- he filmed Terry to show that this was when they were doing the whole open your eyes, close your eyes. And, mm-hmm. um you know, they they found some doctor who, you know, said that, she, well, no, she's not in a persistent vegetative state. And um, that's when they got this guy, this professor, to observe these tapes um, that Suzanne's husband took. And he's the one who said, yeah, I counted, you know, 150 directions and there were five compliances. And mm-hmm. so, you know, yeah, we're now getting into litigation. We have competing um, experts and competing, you know, people are gathering evidence and yeah. using evidence. I mean, this is, this is heating up. Um, yes. And we meet this guy, Dr. Jay Wolfson, who's a professor at the university of South Florida. And he examined her, I guess he was also called in to examine her and he agreed that she, she does have persistent vegetative, ex- um, uh, state that explained that Terry makes these noises and faces all the time. It doesn't matter what the other person does. Um, that, um, and that then it gets into this whole thing about who said the thing about disability that, you know, they uh, saw it. Did someone say disability? They, and that yeah. That really they, became this whole issue. Yeah. They tried to, they had a lot of people who disabled people and disabled rights activists were protesting saying, well, where do you draw the line? You know, are you going to kill me mm-hmm. because I'm a quadriplegic in a wheelchair? And, you know, and I mean, it's I, like, I well, think, you can speak and speak for yourself. Do you right. want to die? Yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Yes. No. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. No, it's case it's closed. T- it's more than a stretch. Yeah. But they're trying yeah. to draw the, but they, that's what they do in these cases. You know, they, 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 they try to make it sound like, oh my gosh, this is a slippery slope. If you remove this woman's feeding tube, we're, they're going to start killing disabled people. Um, yeah. She's not disabled. I mean, th- that guy, Dr. Wolfson, he, he's the one who said he looked at her brain scan. He said the entire brain was liquefied for cognition, seeing, hearing, and responding. Mm. All the centers where all that stuff happens were destroyed, dead. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's always so frustrating to me, like when people can't accept science. But um, yeah. yeah, so then so then the I that appeals court, I think, did they? No, they issued the injunction, but then that got that got overturned. That got overturned. So then on October 15th, 2003. So n- mind you, this woman went into the coma 1990. You know, this yeah. is 13 years later. So the feeding tube is removed again. So this is when the family, this is when the family really lost me. So then they they go to Randall Terry, who is mm-hmm. part of Operation Rescue. He's the founder and he's very famous for going to anti-abortion, going to abortion clinics, and we see all of this footage of him. Yeah. Terrorizing people. Oh my God. What was that one image of him with the little teeny tiny baby in his, I mean, it was just awful. But basically he uses every last 
dirty tactic there is mm-hmm. to get a lot of attention on him, you know, him and his message. And um, his big thing is, I fight the killing of babies. Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. This hospice where not just Terry, but hundreds of other people are trying to peacefully die Mm-hmm. And people and, and family and loved ones yeah. are trying to say goodbye to them. And people are trying to work and people are trying to live their lives. Let's rent an RV, live across the street, and let's hold a 24-hour vigil and just terrorize these people now. And that's what they did. They started this 24-hour vigil as the feeding tube is removed. And so their big thing was, let's appeal to Jeb Bush, who was the governor of florida at the time and um they're like well maybe we can get uh governor bush to overturn this decision and this is where i got a little confused so did so jeb apparently was a little kind of wishy-washy about it who wrote terry's law i didn't understand how that happened so fast okay well here's what happens so okay governor the governor cannot overturn a, a court ruling in a state. It doesn't work that way. There's a separation of uh, powers. He had no ability to do that. And somebody sent someone to try to talk to Jeb Bush, someone from the Shiva or the Schindler family, I believe. He And he really didn't want to get involved. Um, and so then, so, so Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is a congresswoman from Florida, who at the, this is before she was elected, I believe, but she explains this. She says you know, the, gover- the governor doesn't have the ability to overrule the court. So what happened instead was um, some s- congressman up in Washington, D.C. Uh, wrote this. So now we've got the federal government is involved. OK, this is a state mm-hmm. court issue. Um, it should it should be left in the state courts. And it, once it works its way through the state court system, unless there's, you know, uh, some there are circumstances where uh, the federal government can get involved with state court laws and decisions, but it's extremely rare. And this is not one of them. They made this up that these Congress people, they crafted this thing called Terry's law. And it was a, a law to protect one person. And they made it happen in one day. And um, then, oh, wait a minute, this is still in state court. I'm sorry. Because it says, uh, my notes say Jeb signed it. So how did this? Oh, okay. Sorry. Excuse me. I'm getting the two things mixed up. Okay. So so Jeb Bush tried to do something that he really couldn't do, but he did it anyway. Um, and so, it, but it causes Terry to go from the hospice back to the hospital. Feeding tube is reinserted. I mean, this thing has been taken out and reinserted like three times now. And again, I'm wondering, does that hurt her? Yeah. (laughs) Like getting the feeding tube ripped in and out anyway. So anyway, so then the Florida Supreme Court struck down the Terry's law that Jeb Bush had signed. Um, They unanimously ruled that Bush uh, violated the constitutional tenets of separation of powers when he signed the law. Mm. So then the Schindlers get this new lawyer Oh, um, who is another ultra Christian, um, you know, wants to, a c- Christian nation turned to prayer, political and religious forces. Saw an opportunity. Oh, do you love to push his artwork? The picture oh, of Bush. Oh, George Bush. Oh, with yeah. God and the hands and, touching and Abraham Lincoln <laughs> on touching his shoulder or something. Uh, I was like, lovely. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. um, Okay, so so now we're taking this to we're they're trying to take it to the federal government. So this guy, so Bobby Schindler and this new wackadoo, uh, David Gibbs, they go up to Washington D.C. and they talk to some congressmen, and so they show the at the time majority leader Republican Tom Delay, and then of course Jeb calls up his brother W. And by this mm-hmm. time, Jeb is kind of invested, you know, because he went along with this. He signed this law that got overturned. And so he's getting into it. And, um, you know, then that all the religious stuff starts 
coming into play. And um, they show Mike Pence, you know, <laughs> saying, Oh, God, yes, yes. We, we should err on the side of life. And, um, you know, so then they uh, they start pushing this bill on behalf of the right wing conservative groups. Again, I think to get attention. And, you know, they had a Republican majority, so they had the votes. And so they did it. They they yeah. pushed this another Terry's bill. But now we're talking about a federal law. They pushed that through. And then the big thing that was that W actually left his vacation early to come back and sign the bill. <laughs> I remember this at the time. It was a big deal because it's like, oh, my God, we got to get the feeding tube back in, you know. So yeah. he rushes home from vacation in the middle of the night to sign the bill. And now we have this federal, you know, Ter Terry Shivo law, again, aimed at one person. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they're, they're just like trying to ruin people's lives here, you know. Um, but again, thank God for the courts, because um, when they went to the federal judge to try to get an order to reinsert the feeding tube, the federal judge rejects it. And um, that was it. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't make it to the Supreme Court, thank God. Well, and we see that Judge Greer had to wear a bulletproof vest mm -hmm. wherever he went anytime he left the house because everyone hated him because he got so many death threats for, you know, doing his job. He got kicked out of his church. I know. He had to go to the Baptist church. They yes. took him in. <laughs> he was like, these people, they're like, oh, great. We'll, we'll take you. Yeah. You know, that I was like, well, so much for loving each other. Don't, you know. Yeah. Really? You you all want people to live so much that you're going to kill this guy. Right. Don't you love that? Yeah, you're right to life. But don't right. if you don't agree with me, I will kill you. That does that make any sense? Oh, yeah. These people who kill abortion doctors and uh, yeah. you know, try to bomb well, abortion. And also, that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing is, do these people who are right to lifers, do they believe in the death penalty? Oh, uh, usually they do. I mean, because they're usually very like, you know, punitive and law mm -hmm. and order, eye for an eye, you know, biblical yeah. stuff. So, yeah, none, okay. none of it, <laughs> none of it makes any sense. And, yeah, you know, it's it's all just, you know, politicians get into it to get votes. The, the, the like this Randall Terry guy, he's obviously a total narcissist, just wants attention. It's got some sort of mm -hmm. God complex. Oh, these yeah. are just people who are unwell. Yes. They're very unwell. Well, and and then we start to learn about, and this is, again, the Schindler's already lost me, but this is where I really, this really pissed me off. Okay. So Michael, the problem with Michael is this. He does not come off as very likable, right? I, mm -hmm. It's the mustache. Not many people can, I mean, beyond Tom Selleck, not many people can really pull off the mustache. Well, he looks like he's stuck in the 70s. You know, his yeah. hair, the mustache yeah. and his hairstyle and just everything about him. It's like he needs to fast forward tw 20 or 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> but style. I do when he does cry and when he does, you know, have these, I do, I do believe him, you know, and, and at the same time, I, I you know, again, do I believe of what he said to this ex-girlfriend? I believe it's somewhere in the middle. I believe that he probably once said to her, you know, something like, oh, this Terry stuff is so hard. You know, this is this is just derailed my life. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he said, you know, sometimes I think she smiles at me. I think sometimes she knows my voice. I think, I think he did on some level say a lot of these. You know what I mean? I mm -hmm. think that, I think that, you know, I think that he did get a bum rap, but what really pissed me off is that apparently they, this family just decides we're just going to flat out lie about this guy. They start making up stories about whether or not they think he pushed her down, that he was yeah. the cause of her fall. He abused and her. it's like yeah. that he abused her. It's like, wait a second. You know, you can't just lie. You just lied about that. Like there's no evidence. And apparently they, you know, this is what the reporter's saying. There's no evidence. If there was any evidence, you know, that would have come out by now. Mm -hmm. There was no evidence of abuse. 
you had one ex-girlfriend that maybe he he didn't break, you know, didn't do a great job of breaking up with that decided to skew. Anybody can skew what we say to them in any way, shape or form. And we do do this. We, we do this all the time with people. If we don't like something, if we don't like somebody, we can anything that they say, we can skew it to make them seem like a jerk. I mean, yeah, it's I very mean- simple. He was living a nightmare, you know, and mm-hmm. and didn't know what to do or what was going to happen. And his life was hell. So, yeah, I'm yeah. sure from time to time he was very upset and frustrated and probably said things to the effect that, you know, he wished he wasn't in this situation, which that is totally normal. And, and yeah. then who is this? I'm sorry. Who is this ex-girlfriend calling into a radio show? That right there should tell you something. She's just yes. looking for attention. And she's just, how how does she have any credibility? I mean, give me a break. Well, and how does this help anybody calling into a radio show? Then if you really feel like you have some damning evidence. Yeah, go to a lawyer. You sh- Yeah, you should have gone to an attorney and said, he said this to me, it's concerning to me, but here, there you go. It's like, no, it wasn't concerning to you until you broke up and and now you're pissed. So, and again, this is why, and this is was the point of all of this is it's all been hearsay. None of us really truly know what any, what people, none of us really truly know what, what she wants. The reality is, is that I'm sorry, this is not a life. This is not a no, life. It's not she, living. She, there is not. It's not living. And she's and she and the daughter that you think you are seeing is not there. She's not there. And, and the thing that's so awful is you see this beautiful, beautiful young woman, and then you're having to see her now. She looks awful. These photos of her. It's like if if that was me, I would be livid. I was like, oh my god, you know. 15 years of me looking like crap. Just deteriorating. Well, she's deteriorating. deteriorating out in public. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with shitty haircuts and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'd be like, please remember me differently. Y- you know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't know. I just think, <sighs> but the, I hate liars. I hate liars. I hate people who lie. I hate people who fabricate stories. And I hate people who come up with stories just to, just to kind of further their own agenda. Just, yeah. No, my, and, and that's when and I was also, like, these, I hate these Schindlers. Yeah. And, and Michael, Sorry. since, since all this happened, you know, he hasn't said anything to anybody. He, he moved on with yes. his life. Um, you know, he's, he's married with children. He's now a nurse. He's a he's like mm. the head nurse at at a prison somewhere. I don't. But anyway, I mean, he just he's. This is not a bad guy, and yeah, and he yeah. was very unfairly villainized. And the Schindlers, you know, they might seem like a nice little family, but they're strange. And then the Bobby, the son, he becomes oh, God. A, a pro-life yeah. crusader, kind of like a Randall yes. Perry light. And he's got yes. this foundation and he lobbies Congress and it's all about these end of life things. And, and it's just like, God, you know, <laughs> and they're still to this day in that sister. She seems really nasty and they're yeah. still trying to talk yeah. shit about Michael. And I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't believe yeah. any of them. I think. Well, and they're talking about like her last moments and like who was going to be in there or not. And again, this is again, the story of like, he, you know, who said what to whom. And it's one of those stories where like the, that he, Michael was there visiting, the family wanted to come in, he leaves, he goes into another room. And I guess the, I guess they sent, they were sensing that she was going to go very soon. It was like, who mm-hmm. was going to spend the last moments with her? And mm-hmm. it was like, Michael is saying, yeah, it would have been nice to have everybody there, but the only way to do that was to have a police officer there. So do I let the police officer be there for her final moments or do I do that? And, you know, what would she want? And of course the family, you know, again, feels like they, you know, they again were cast aside and how, how dare he, how dare he do that? And again, it comes back to when, once you become an adult, how much does your family have ownership of you, mm-hmm. of you and your life and your, your body, your, your autonomy, you know, your choices, yeah. your autonomy. Exactly. Who, you know, once you become an adult, once you decide to spend your life with someone else, once you make cho- those kinds of choices, does your family have that kind of autonomy? And I would like to say that people who tend to have 
eating disorders tend to come from highly controlling families, highly mm-hmm. controlling families, mm-hmm. because f- and because food becomes the one thing they can control. Mm, yeah. And well, if she was eating a lot before, it might have been that she can control the food. You know, they, that must have been. And then once she decided to lose weight, it was like, okay, now I can control this in a different direction. So, yeah. FYI. So, yeah. So to bring this all full circle. Um, yes. The, the people on the right realizes that this is the beginning of time. And we talked about this when we did the, um, what was the documentary about? Um, oh, the uh, Jerry, not Jerry. Falwell. Oh, the Jerry Falwell. Um, Jerry Falwell. But it wasn't, it was the... Um, what it was, was the about family? the pool boy? Yeah, the pool boy. What was his name? The I'll, I'll look it up. Hold on. It was Jerry Falwell Jr. Hold on. I'll okay, was it? Yeah, was it the Falwells? Anyway. Yeah, it was. That that was around the time when when uh, they also... when the, God forbid. God forbid. God forbid the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty. Yeah. So this is a, happening around the same time where the right is starting to realize the importance of judges and federal judges, especially. And, you know, th- they begin their 20 year um, quest, which has finally come true to basically pack, you know, the federal court with conservative pro-life uh, judges and at all levels, the district courts, court of appeals, trial courts. And they created this network of judges to ultimately overturn Roe versus Wade. And we see Judge Alito, um, Mm -hmm. you know, getting sworn in by and, you know, George W. is there. And it's just like, oh, my God, this again, you know, it's like, here we are. And, you know, now and so they've inserted themselves into reproductive rights. The right to die part is a little bit harder when you have these legal documents, you know, like the um, advanced healthcare directives, which again, please mm. get one. But I, I, I would, I would imagine that a lot of people don't have that, have that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's going to become a big issue, you know, with the aging population, it already is an issue, but it's just only going to get worse. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it's very important, uh, to yes. make your wishes known. Yes. Our mother has, have you seen that at mom's house where she has it written <laughs> at her house? So if, if she passes out at her house and the not 911 is called, it's like written oh on her God. thing. Like, please do not resuscitate me. <laughs> it's like written on a notepad. That's like next to the <laughs> door. So yeah, when the, when the EMTs come in, hopefully they'll notice it. You they'll know, they'll but... check. They'll check. Oh, wait, let me check some notes. <laughs> let me make sure. Let me yeah. check her notepad. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. And, you know, it made me think of, well, this made me think of a lot of stuff, but there was a case here in the Bay Area. This was 2013, and it was really sad. This girl, her name was Jahai McMath, and she was 13. She went to Children's Hospital in Oakland to have basically her tonsils removed and some other things removed. She had pediatric obstructive sleep apnea. And she's made it through the surgery, but then something happened after the surgery where she just started bleeding and, um, you know, same kind of thing. Like I, her heart must have stopped, no oxygen to the brain. And yeah, she went into cardiac arrest, no oxygen. And the doctors declared her brain dead. Um, and her parent, her mother and other family members um, thought that the hospital wanted to remove her from the ventilator and, um, you know, the family fought it. And I guess they found mm-hmm. some place in New Jersey that there was some kind of right to life facility in New Jersey who was willing to, <laughs> this is so morbid, have her body flown out there to their facility, um, you know, on a ventilator. I don't know how much that costs mm-hmm. or who's paying for this. Um, and they would let her stay there. And so they got a court order, you know, because there was legal stuff with the hospital they got a court order to move her to new jersey and then she died five years later oh, and God. the cause of death was liver failure mm. hmm. which i thought was interesting but um yeah that was i remember that that was a big case around here 
And that's just so sad. I mean, got a 13 year old girl. And again, I remember thinking, I I understand this mother's, how do you accept that? How do you accept that your child goes into the hospital to have their tonsils taken out and then all of a sudden they're brain dead? Yeah. And I think that, and I understand, I understand the parents and she looked at me and she said, hi. And as long as they're fighting, as long as she's alive, there is this sliver of hope, this Mm -hmm. 0.00001% chance that she could get better, that there could be some cure, that there could be something that's going on here. But, you know, you also have to weigh that against the quality of her life and the quality mm-hmm. of everybody else's life. Like you're, you're, you, you know, you are all stuck in time. I mean, this entire family, like you basically all said it killed the father. The father mm-hmm. died at 71. You know, the, the mother does not look good. Like nobody in the family looks very good. They all look like they've aged a million years. Um, you know, it, it, it it's interesting. The person who seems to be the happiest is Michael. Because he's the one that sort of and and seems to be doing the best work is Michael, Mm -hmm. right? Because he's moving forward with his life and accepting and accepting it. But I, I, you know, again, it's it's hard. It's hard to know. And I think that a lot of people, again, back to this advanced directive and wills and all this stuff is I think that people see this as something that old people should get or or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. The reality is, is that you know, this is, she, of course, was young and probably thought, oh, this eating disorder is not going to kill me, but it did. And, you know, young people, you know, they do a bunch of drugs. They don't think the drugs are going to kill them, but they do. And, and I think that there's this attitude that, oh, I have to be doing drugs for 30 years in order for it to kill me. It's like, no, it can kill you in six months. Yeah, Eating disorders, you can have a bad eating disorder for five years. It could kill you. Like, you know, Things can happen that you don't see. Don't assume that just because you're young that nothing can happen. Don't assume. And if you have very strong feelings about these things, then protect yourself. Yeah, no, it happens all the time. You Mm. know, my my best friend since the first grade passed Mm. away at 49. She had a, um, like, just a massive asthma attack. Like, managed to call 911 and said, I can't breathe. And then the phone went dead. And by the time the paramedics got there, she had been without oxygen to her brain for like 20 minutes. Oh, God. You know, 20 minutes to get there. Yeah. Well, like it was, she lived inside in a, I don't know how long it took, but I mean, it was somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes, at least she lived inside this apartment complex and they had to get in whatever. So, um, they met, but they managed to resuscitate her, her, get her heart beating again you know, she's in ICU on a ventilator. And, you know, I, I sat with her for three days. And Mm -hmm. she when I remember when I walked in there, I didn't even recognize her. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, is that her? Like, it didn't even look like her. And I I realized she was already gone. Her soul had left her body. I sat with Mm -hmm. her for three days, looking for some sign of any nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the doctors, they have this protocol, they have to run all these different tests and, you know, to satisfy the family. And so, you know, they did all of that. And um, luckily, her parents, you know, yeah, were reasonable. And, you know, they didn't uh, fight it. But um, yeah, and it was just like, you know, I was there when they took the ventilator, took her off the ventilator. And, you know, very quickly, because they told us it could take up to like 30 minutes or more to actually have no electrical activity mm-hmm. or whatever activities in the body. But it happened within a couple minutes. And it was just wow. like, it, yeah. that was very sobering. And, um, and the, uh, well, the sad part about it is that her brother, who's still alive, when he was in his 20s, he had a brain aneurysm and he's in a persistent vegetative state. Mm. And he's now like yeah. 50 years old and he's for 25 years. He's, he's, I don't think, I'm not sure if he has a feeding tube or not. I kind of think he doesn't. So, I mean, there's nothing, you know, mm-hmm. he's just, his body is, is, is he's just kind of existing. 
So and where is yeah, he? He was he was twenty five. Well, he was being taken care of um, in their father's home, but then the father passed away a couple of years ago. So I'm not really sure where he is now. He might have had to go back into a facility because he was in a facility for a long time, and then the father was able to bring him home and care for him in his home. But it's the same thing. Like he it's very much like Terry Shivo. Like he makes noises. He looks at people. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. You know, you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know what, what is going on or what he knows or anything like that. But yeah, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, it can happen at 25, 50. Well, it can happen at any age. It can happen. Um, stuff happens. Yeah. So as I said, anybody over the age of 18 has to have an advanced health care directive and yeah. a will or a trust, preferably trust, you know, because it just, that's just reality. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. What did the Schindler family do for work during this whole time? How could know. any of them go to a job? Because it seemed like this was, oh, they're fighting this case. They had to have lawyers. I mean, maybe they were getting these people to do it for free because of the PR piece of it. But ooh, how could anybody, how could any of these people hold down a job? That's my other question. Yeah, I don't know. That's a fair question. Um, and then now that guy, Bobby, he's like a keynote speaker. I mean, I think now he's making money talking, yeah. talking to these religious. And so and that's what I wanted to know. They were Catholic. So maybe they were pro-life to begin with. But I I do wonder how pro-life they were before all of this. Right. Do you know what I mean? I kind of feel like they just like that when they got hooked up with this Randall guy. I, you know, they asked the the sister about it and the sister's like, well, we didn't care and all that. I'm like, yeah, you just, you just needed someone. Yeah, you were willing him. to, yeah, you just were using him as much as he was using you. Yeah. You didn't care. You, I mean, I just, it, it felt like with the parents that they, it wasn't even about Terry anymore. It was about winning. It was about winning mm. this, like winning, like y- being right, beating Michael. You know, and mm-hmm. and that was the part that where they just they it kind of got gross. That's my yeah. They so. might have like li- yeah. They might have lived off of like I don't know, probably donations and support from these yeah. these right to life organizations. I'm sure have a ton of money because you know yeah that's what they do. I guess so. But all, all right. right then. Oh boy. Well, but this was really, I have to say, I'm glad we did this one. This one was really interesting and not something that I would have learned about otherwise. So yeah, no, it's an excellent documentary. Anyway. So check it out. Yes. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are still covering uh, season 18 of Sister Wives. I think there's a few more episodes. I don't know what's going on with it. Um, a wedding special, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I don't know when you're. They've got I don't stuff know, running till January, but right. I don't know when you're going to be hearing this, but you know, if you want some sister wife's content, uh, <laughs> go look at our feed. It's all there, and uh, we have our um, sister wives rewind. We've gone through what, like season five, five through season five, and we're going to pick up our rewind we'll once season eighteen ends, and all these specials end, and all that stuff. Yeah. And um, then uh, we'll continue with more documentaries. If you have any recommendations, you can uh, drop us a note um, on the social medias, uh, TikTok or Instagram at Psych Legal Pop. And if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and please also give us a five-star rating and review. That would really help us grow our audience. And um, yeah, maybe share an episode with a friend. You know, send a friend, tell the two, send it to a friend. You can, you know, you just click on those little double or the little three dots. (laughs) You know, if you have an iPhone, we should not be telling people how to use technology. (laughs) Yeah. You know, those. I sound like, you know, such a grandma. I know. (laughs) Well, Google it. If you don't know how to do it, just Google it. How to share (laughs) a podcast with a friend. 
Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying the best. I can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye bye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.